You can turn in your copy of the Word of God to Romans chapter 8. We're in a series of messages through Paul's letter to the Romans, and we find ourselves in chapter 8 this morning as we look at verses 1 through 17. The Apostle Paul has spent several chapters making it clear to us that we cannot be justified by the works of the law. And in chapter 7, most recently, he made it clear to us that the law brings condemnation because we cannot keep it. Those who disobey the law of God are under the judgment of God. And that would be bad news forever except for what Paul begins to share with us in chapter 8, and that is our life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. This is a lengthy chapter, and Paul's going to make clear to us what it means to have the Spirit of God living inside of us, living amongst us, enabling us to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we see several benefits of this life in the first 17 verses, which are highly personal. I want you to notice this morning uh, these several things. Number one, our freedom through the Spirit. That's in verses 1 through 4. Paul speaks of our freedom through the Spirit. Number two, our focus on the Spirit. And Paul outlines that in verses 5 through 8. Thirdly, our occupation by the Spirit. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. And then finally, our obligation to the Spirit. And we see that in verses 12 through 17. So along with an outline of the message, join me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless our study together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, we wish to see Jesus and Him only. And we pray that Your Spirit would move through Your Word in our hearts. And that You would accomplish all You send Your Word to accomplish in our lives. Lord, bless us to that end now. May all praise and glory and honor be Yours now and forever. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice our freedom through the Spirit. In verse 1, Paul says at first, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our union with Jesus Christ, which we've been studying for several years, or several weeks now, sets us free from the condemnation of the law of God. Remember previously, we learned that we were united to Christ specifically in His death and resurrection. And one of the primary purposes of the law is to make it clear that all are under sin. Chapter 3 ended that way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. So one of the primary purposes of the law is to bring about condemnation. All are perishing. You know, John 3.16 is often quoted, but we lose sight of the wording. It says, for whoever believes in him will not perish, 
has eternal life. That will not perish part often slips away from our notice because John 3.16 presupposes that all are perishing and that the only escape is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on in verse 2, we're no longer under the law of sin and death. We now are live under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's a transition of law. Let me put it this way. If you travel into space, maybe you're Elon Musk or a friend of his, you know, and you, you travel into space, you become subject to a new set of laws in that realm. It's not that the law of gravity is extinct. It's just not, or it gives way to other laws and principles while you are in space. If you travel to another country, you become subject to a new set of laws. It's not that the old laws that you're familiar with disappear here in the United States. They simply give way to the laws and principles of this new country, this new realm. So in like manner, the Bible makes it clear that believers are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. This is clear in the Bible in Ephesians 2. It says that Christ saved us and redeemed us and raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And so while we carry on our lives here in this realm, we have a dual citizenship. It's spiritual, and it is in heaven, because we are part of God's household. And thus no longer under the tyranny of the law's demands. We're now under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And you'll notice in verse 3, our newfound freedom is made possible by the atoning work. Of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 tells us there is no condemnation. Why? Because Christ condemned sin in the flesh. This is another way of saying that Christ took on condemnation, our condemnation upon himself. We were condemned as sinners by the law of God. Christ was the perfect one, the sinless one. And so when he died, he paid our penalty. For sin, and in so doing, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4 Christ fulfilled the demands of the law on our behalf. And therefore, our union with him means the law of God has been fulfilled in us. Union with Christ is one of the most important concepts throughout all of these middle chapters of Romans. We must see ourselves as part of the body of Christ with an intimate relationship with Him. And in that union, as Christ carried out fully and perfectly the law of God and then died for all of our sins against that law, in our union with Him, this law is fulfilled in us. It's quite a concept to wrap your head around. That because of our union with Christ, the law of God is fulfilled in us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states it this way. He, that is the Father, made him, that is the Son, 
who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so in summary, the Spirit of God has set us free from the condemnation of the law because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ according to the decree and plan of God the Father. We've been set free from our condemnation and slavery to the flesh. And God's Spirit has brought us to life. So we live the rest of our lives according to His Spirit and the Spirit's leading. That is our freedom through the Spirit. Now notice secondly in verses 5-8, through eight, Paul turns his attention to our focus. What is our focus in terms of the Spirit? And our focus should be on the Spirit of God, on the things of God. Paul moves from freedom through the Spirit to our focus on the Spirit. And it's clear that our focus, and what I mean by that is that which we set our minds on, demonstrates the reality of the freedom that we've come to enjoy as believers. Or the slavery that we have yet to shed. Paul presents a contrast between living according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. Now, when Paul uses those words, in the flesh, he's not talking about, you know, flesh, literally. And he's not talking about the sinful uh, things that come from the flesh. He's talking about the old man. That's Paul's concept. We were one way before we were converted. Now we have a principle of new life in us, the Spirit of the living Christ. Christ has taken up residence inside of us. And because of that, we have a new mindset. We see things differently. Isn't that true? When you profess faith in Christ, the impact of God's Word began to have an impact on your mind as to how you saw your world, as to how you saw yourself, and how you see the future. Well, he speaks of two mindsets here in verse 5. One is according to the flesh, and the other is according to the Spirit. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And he goes on with two consequences. The former, setting our minds on the flesh, leads to what? Death. The latter, to life and peace. And I believe Paul is making it clear that this is a serious matter not to be taken lightly. This is not an optional exercise. Our sense of focus, our sense of mindset. The Bible makes it clear that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And a great deal of who we are is conditioned by our thoughts. Whether or not they're characterized by God's Word and God's thoughts or the world's. And you'll notice in verses 7 and 8, this is a serious matter because unbelief is bound to inability. Look at verses 7 and 8. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Isn't that amazing? These people that think that they're free thinkers, who deny God and His reality, who deny His Word, they're not really free thinkers. They're in bondage. And but for the actions of a sovereign God, they will never believe. Those verses should lead a person to say, God, have mercy on me. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Open my mind so that I might understand your word. 
Listen to the words of Paul in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. He says, Many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Don't we see a lot of that in the United States now? People glorying in shame. We look at the landscape and we see people celebrating that which they should be ashamed of and not putting it to death. The Word of God is infinitely real and it certainly comes true all the time as we look at our culture, as we look at our own lives. Now, what does this look like in everyday life? I think two questions come to my mind. Number one, which kingdom am I focusing on and seeking after? Which kingdom am I focusing on and seeking after? Is it a material kingdom of my own or a spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ? And you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 6 where he says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For the Gentiles, the pagans, eagerly seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I read those words and I ask myself, where is my focus? Is it primarily on finances? Am I worried so much about losing money that it prevents me from serving God? Am I focused on pleasure and luxury? Am I focused on that which is external more than that which is internal? Am I focused more on myself or, like Christ, on serving others? These questions help us to identify which kingdom I'm focusing on. One is according to the flesh, and the other is according to the Spirit. Let me hasten to say our focus is on a material kingdom whenever we take the things of God for granted. When we ignore and overlook the means of grace, Bible study, prayer, church attendance, fellowship, and the sacraments. Couldn't help but noticing the parking lot this morning. We had a whole lot more people last week when we were serving breakfast. Attendance went down. And I have to ask myself that question. Am I doing okay? Am I happy whenever my stomach is full? My appetite has been met. Is that the thing that will allow me to serve? It shouldn't be. It should be a change of heart. Which kingdom am I focusing on? It's not that we're not interested in other things, material concerns. We always will be. But the question before the house is, which one takes priority? Which one captures our attention and our energies the most? Another question, am I sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit? Galatians 6, 7 and 8, Paul says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he also will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit 
reap eternal life. Why the picture? Why the figure of a sower and the seed? Well, like it or not, life is a matter of sowing. We're all sowing in one direction or the other. And the sower plants the seed and looks forward to the harvest. In like manner, we invest our lives like precious seed in things that we consider to be important. And we place ourselves in locations where we believe it will be most advantageous. We're all engaged in investing our lives and placing ourselves in certain places. And the question we need to ask is, am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the Spirit? I sow to the flesh when I believe the lies of the world, this world order instead of God's truth in sacred Scripture. I sow to my flesh when I ignore God's Word and pursue things that God condemns, like immorality and idolatry, envying and drunkenness. I sow to the flesh when I plant myself in the midst of bad company. What kind of crowd do I run with? Who or what is influencing my thoughts and actions? Does the gospel of Jesus Christ condition my thinking, my actions, my activities, and my relationships with others? If not, I'm sowing in the wrong direction. And you'll notice in verses 7 and 8, Paul offers a sober warning. Our focus, our mindset is a strong indication of the condition of our soul. A mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, it's in rebellion to the law of God, and enslaved to an inability to submit to God and His law. And once again, we see clearly that there is no neutrality. And the focus of our lives is a matter of life and death. What is the focus of your life this morning? In all honesty, what is most precious to you? Paul tells us to keep our focus on the Spirit. Now, you'll notice quickly and thirdly, we have Paul telling us about our freedom through the Spirit, our focus on the Spirit. Thirdly, our occupation by the Spirit. Look at verses 9 through 11. Paul goes deeper. To be a Christian means more than simply focusing on the things of the Spirit. It means acknowledging that the Spirit of God lives in you, that He occupies your life. Christ lives in us by His Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. If an army successfully invades another country, then the result is that the country is occupied by a new authority. It's what we call occupied territory. And Paul is saying if we cannot go on focusing on the kingdom, or if we do go on focusing on the kingdom of this world and sowing to the flesh, then we may need to question whether or not the Spirit of God is in us. Look how many ifs are in this particular portion. There are two of them in verse 9. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10, if Christ is in you. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. What is Paul doing? Well, he's making it clear that if we claim to be Christians, we can't just say that the Spirit is our focus out there. We have to recognize that He occupies our lives in here. He lives and dwells in us. That's why Paul said in another place, how can you take Christ and join Him to a harlot? 
If Christ lives in you, you cannot go on living this way. You cannot go focusing on the kingdoms of this world. There's got to be a change. And Christ has occupied enemy territory in your conversion. You remember what the Bible says. He has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into His marvelous light. And so, there's no reason to go back, and it's unhealthy to go back. You've gained new ground now. If I continue to focus on this world rather than Christ's kingdom, and I continue sowing to the flesh, then I may not belong to Christ. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That's why there's so many ifs here. Paul is pushing us to ask those hard questions. What's really going on in my life? What really is the primary passion? King Saul was an example of this. He was acquainted with the Spirit of God, but he wasn't occupied, I don't believe, by the Spirit of God. You can see it in his repentance. Oh, Samuel, I sin, but go with me and honor me in front of the people. There was always a caveat. There was always a condition to his repentance. It wasn't that he had offended a holy God and that he was stricken in his heart, that he needed cleansing. You could be acquainted with the things of God. You could be acquainted with the Spirit, but not occupied by the Spirit. I think Esau was a prime example and a poster child for those living according to the flesh. He sold his birthright, his inheritance, as the firstborn son for a single meal. And the Bible offers some sobering words concerning Esau in Hebrews 12, 15 through 17. He says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. The writer of Hebrews appeals to Deuteronomy 29 with reference to this root of bitterness. He says, be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't let this crop up in your life. And Deuteronomy 29 is a reference to the person who says, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Presumption. Presuming on the grace of God. That I'm okay. I'm in with the Lord. I have a relationship with Him. And that gives me the right. That gives me the opportunity to transgress, to step on the covenant, knowing that He will forgive me. That is arrogant presumption. And it's a dangerous thing in the life of a believer. And all this should lead us to test ourselves, to serious self-examination. Second Corinthians 13, Paul, Paul says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? We should not be afraid of that. That ought to be a regular part of our lives as Christians, making our calling and election sure. And asking the Lord to bring to the surface what's really in our hearts, 
What is down deep inside? Is it really a passion and a desire to serve the living God? Do I really have a sense of my dependency upon Christ alone and His righteousness? Is this conditioning my life? Or do I keep going back to the same thing? I was watching a program a couple of nights ago, uh, My 600-Pound Life. Perhaps you've seen it. There was a a large woman on there who weighed about 600 pounds. And uh, they were interviewing her with uh, her husband. And I've seen the show many, many times. And often it's a matter of greatly reducing your appetite and even surgery. But the thing that stuck out with this episode is this woman had previously lost about 326 pounds. And she found herself slowly but surely right back in the same place that she was before she began to reduce. And I thought to myself, if I could lose three pounds, if I could lose 13 pounds and keep it off, I would be so happy. I would not want to go back to that. But you know, day by day, there are people that profess faith and yet they they go back. They go back to that old self. And the Bible makes it clear that people run from one direction or the other throughout life. The pigs run back to the mud, and the pigs run from the mud. We all need to ask ourselves, what am I, what am I doing? What are my chief passions? How do I spend my time and my money? Is it on this kingdom, or is it on the spiritual kingdom of Christ? Well, I must hurry. We have our occupation by the Spirit. Finally, Paul wraps it up with our obligation to the Spirit. Look at verses 12 through 17. So then, brethren, we have an obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul ends this section with a challenge to acknowledge our obligation to live according to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Verse 13, he acknowledges that some who profess faith in Jesus Christ continue to live according to the flesh. And he tells them and us, you must die. That's the last thing we want to hear as human beings and the very last thing we want to hear as Americans. And yet the Christian life is full of it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 11 and 12, Paul said, We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. There's a picture of sanctification. Dying daily. And saying, Lord Jesus, fill my life with your Spirit. And give me the appetite and the passion to pursue you and your kingdom more than anything else. And Paul gives the litmus test in verse 14. For an authentic believer, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you'll notice in verses 15 through 17, aside from the warnings, Paul ends on a tender and encouraging note. Verse 15, first, the Spirit of God in a person's life is characterized by the concept of adoption rather than slavery. To profess faith in Christ and yet go on living according to the flesh 
is incompatible with the Christian faith. In fact, it's a return to the life of slavery. You're not a slave anymore. You're an adopted son or daughter. And we must act like it. We must act like it. Verse 16, secondly, if the Spirit of God actually lives in us, then He will bear witness with our spirit in connection to our true identity. He calls us sons and daughters of God. A true believer cannot continue living in the flesh according to the flesh because God will not allow it. He will discipline us for our benefit and for His glory. There's nothing more miserable, ladies and gentlemen, than having the genuine article of faith of knowing the living God and yet going against that and living according to the flesh. It is a miserable experience. Consider David in Psalm 32, verse 34. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. That's the life of a believer. God will not allow you to get away with your sin. It's got to be dealt with. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. God will discipline us for His glory. You know, I was driving to the church this morning and I passed by one of these places that changes oil. And they have one of those balloons there. You know, it's a picture of a, like a man has the hairs at the top and the air is going up inside of it. And all the thing does is do this, you know. And I thought, I feel that way sometimes. I genuinely do. I want to do the right thing, as Paul mentioned to us last week, but I fail. And I want relief from that. I want to consistently obey. And that's why Paul directs us. He knows the yearning of our hearts to obey. He knows that we're feeble. And so he tells us, live by the Spirit. You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave. You've been adopted into the family. And you are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Look at verse 17. As Christians, we have a great inheritance. And all this takes us back to our union with Christ. Christ lives in us, and we live in Him. And we've been raised with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly realms. What's your primary citizenship? Is it here, or is it there? And the one will largely condition the other. The risen Christ gives us power to focus and to keep on focusing on the things of the Spirit as we grow up to maturity in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's so loving and so gracious and so generous. And yet, Lord, firm in reminding us that we are not home and that we engage in the strenuous exercise of following after Christ, taking up our cross daily in a world that could care less, and often amongst other professing believers who don't seem to see the seriousness of these things. Help us, Lord, to test ourselves. And as we pursue you, I pray that your Spirit would testify with our spirit that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. And that you would confirm these truths through the fruit of our lives. That we may serve you with a clear conscience and without any fear. 
because we know you and love you truly. Help us, Lord, to that end. And if there are those here this morning that have never met you, I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts and their minds and enable them to overcome that inability and to come into your kingdom by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Lord, do all these things and more. We'll give you the praise and glory for all that you will do, and we make our prayer in Jesus' name.